0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: We may get into this world where we essentially are having AIs creating deep fakes and AIs trying to detect them. So then, now these algorithms are controlling the basis of truth in our society.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire, and joining me is our special guest, Graham Cluley. Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Joe is away this week, but we expect him to return next week. We've got some interesting stories to share this week, and later in the show, we have my interview with Matt Price from ZeroFox. He's been tracking the development of deepfake technology, and he's going to share his insights on that. And we are back. Graham, I'm going to kick things off this week. And actually, a little change of pace, I have some good news to share this week. Ah, marvelous. (laughs) (laughs) This is the story of Operation Rewired, which is something that the FBI put out word about this week. This is a months-long multi-agency effort to disrupt and dismantle international business email compromise schemes and it sounds as though they've had some success here they had 281 arrests 74 in the u.s many in nigeria shocker mm-hmm. uh, turkey ghana france italy japan kenya malaysia and the united states they say that they've seized uh, almost four million dollars and uh, 118 million dollars in fraudulent wire transfers so i think interesting that the good guys have one this time uh, what is your take on this
0: well this kind of scam is so easy to pull off, isn't it? I'm not mm-hmm. really surprised that so many of these arrests have come from Nigeria, which, of course, are the origin of so many of those advanced fee fraud emails which we used to get, you know, when you get a prince or some inheritance coming through to you. Right. And and quite often these business email compromises aren't that much more sophisticated. They they can just be a forged email claiming to come from your boss asking you to move more money around. Or or more recently, obviously, they're hacking into emails and using that information to appear even more convincing.
2: Yeah. One thing I wonder about with these is, is this just a drop in the bucket? I, I suspect that it is. Mm. But I don't know about you, but there's been times when I've been in a maybe a dark mood and I've thought to myself, you know, so few people get caught with these things. <laughs> am I in the wrong business? You know? like, like, it seems as though you see these people making tens of thousands of dollars a day and you think, gosh, it's, uh, it's the time of the month when my credit card bill is due. What if I just sent out a few ransomware things? Who would know?
0: Who would get caught? You know? And- I think the listeners to Hacking Humans would know, Dave, because you just announced it to the world, which perhaps wasn't that so, well, wise, was it? If, if this was your grand plot, maybe you should have kept yeah, it to yourself, well, not when the microphones turned on. Well, well but- I, yes. Good, good point, Grant good point. I think a lot of people probably think like you. People who work in the Infosec community think, you know, sometimes crumbs. These criminals are making so much money with attacks sometimes which aren't that sophisticated. Of course, it's not just the fear of getting caught which stops us from doing it. But I think many of us actually have a moral compass and many of us actually think, no, that's actually wrong. And we feel very strongly that these sort of things are wrong and shouldn't be done. And so you couldn't pay me any amount of money and make me scam some little old lady or a business out of a million dollars. What's that like, Graham? What does that feel
2: like? I, I want to know. I Being guess. good. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I say that. <laughs> Obviously, I'm no, secretly in a little right. volcano with <laughs> my kids right, exactly. there. Yeah. Breaking news tomorrow, <laughs> right? They're hauling you away in handcuffs. <laughs> Absolutely, you're right. And I think, uh, you know, clearly that is a big part of it. It's, it's just wrong. But I wonder how much these sorts of things are symbolic in that they plant that seed they plant that little bit of doubt for people that hey it's not free and clear there is a chance that you're going
0: to get caught there are people actively out there trying to shut these things down i'm not sure that arrests like this act as such a huge disincentive even if people do end up going to jail for a long time i think some of the people behind these schemes probably come from quite impoverished backgrounds, which has led them to crime in the first place. Mm. And in some ways, is it better that they are scamming people via the internet rather than mugging old ladies or doing something more violent? I don't know. You know, if if Mm. you're going to do a... I mean... uh, I hate to say, you know, it's, it's a better kind of crime than some other kinds of crime. Still does real damage and can destroy people's livelihoods, obviously, yeah. and, and cause problems to that point of view. But like you, I do suspect there are an awful lot more people doing this kind of thing from all sorts of countries around the world.
2: Yeah. Well, it's good news. And it's always nice to see uh, the good yeah. guys have a win like this.
0: That's my story this week. Graham, what do you have to share with us? Well, I've got something a little bit peculiar. You know, hmm. I mean, on Hacking Humans and we're reading the media headlines, we're always hearing about people's online accounts getting hacked, folks getting fished. You know, the mistakes which they're making, maybe they're reusing the same password in multiple places. And so the bad guys are breaking into accounts. So the, the sort of advice which we give people all the time is make sure you've turned on your two-factor authentication. You know, it's one of the best pieces of advice we can give people right, as to how to use a piece of technology to remain safer online. And there are a number of companies which help you do this. There's some free apps, obviously, which you can install on your smartphone. But one company is Duo Security. They're actually part of Cisco now, I think. They offer cloud-based multi-factor authentication. And I actually use them on my own website. When I try to log in to the back end of my website, Duo sends a little push to my mobile. And I've got a little button which pops up to confirm, yes, it's really me who's logging in. You know, it's fantastic. So if someone else tried to log in, if they happened to get my password, I would get a warning and I would say, no, don't let them in. Mm -hmm. but some people think that's a real hassle. Some people think, oh, what a nuisance that my company makes me authenticate before I log into this company service or into this website or onto this account. Spraying your finger, getting blisters. It's so so exhausting. I've got so little time. I can't afford (laughs) those few milliseconds pressing a button. Mm -hmm. And to address that need, a brand new website has popped up claiming to take away that hardship. And this website has called itself don'tduo.com. And it's really rather peculiar. Let me just read some of the text from this website. It says, for the cost of a small Don't don'tduo automatically accepts incoming duo authentication requests, saving you an average of three hours per month. And it says, we'll make it more seamless how you log into your site. You just log in with your username and password. You don't have to worry about the authentication. So effectively what you are doing is you are setting up your authentication, your two-factor authentication with a phone number which the Don't Duo website provides to you. And they have, I don't know, they've either got teams of people in the back room or more likely some computer system. Every time a request comes in to authenticate, they automatically authenticate on your behalf. Now, Dave, can you see any problems with this? <laughs> This seems absolutely bonkers to me. Bonkers so, is the word.
2: You're out, so you're outsourcing yes. the button. Br- the, you're outsourcing your second factor. Who would? Okay. Mm. I'm trying to understand who is. The, I guess this is for the corporate person who has had this second factor foisted upon them. I and think so. it's, it's a hassle.
0: And they just want to get around it. I I think that's exactly it. It's when IT has enforced two-factor authentication upon you and you greatly begrudge it and you're so bloody-minded you are prepared to pay a website to handle those authentication requests for you. And, of course, the risk is that if any Tom, Dick, or Harry tries to log into your account as well, they aren't going to know at Don't Duo whether that is really you or Tom, Dick or Harry. And so they will automatically authenticate it. You've basically eradicated your two-factor authentication. Now, I should stress, I don't know if DontDuo.com is a joke or not. It might well be. (laughs) Maybe they're trying to prove a point. Maybe they're just being crazy. Mm-hmm. The, the website looks a bit professional, but then when you look at it, I looked it into a little bit of detail. They've got terms and conditions and privacy, but they've been auto-generated by a form online. They just sort of cut and paste their terms hmm. and conditions. There's no contact information. If it is a joke, they're not making it terribly obvious that it's a joke and there is a risk. <laughs> Some people might believe this is for real. <sighs> What a
2: thing that we're at this point where some, we don't know if something like this is a joke or not.
0: Indeed. Yeah, this is, none of us know if we're left or right, up or down these days, do we? The world is so <laughs> oh. cri- tips, topsy-turvy. Uh, <laughs> but the, the analogy I would give, though, regarding a site like this or any service which offers to, or to authenticate for you is you wouldn't hand over the keys to your kingdom to some nutter on the bus. So why would an attractively designed website make you feel any more confidence in, in its handling of something like this? So turn on your 2FA, folks, and do it yourself. Don't get someone else to do it for you.
2: Well, and how absurd for the, the folks who are in charge of security for companies that the, they'll have to add a line to their their do's and don'ts that say, we forbid you from using services like Don't
0: Duo. Well, you know what? I Because <laughs> I tweeted about this and some people in response actually sent me a screenshot and they've already put inside their web filtering software. They have marked that website as hacking. So they're basically automatically blocking it to prevent their users from going to it because they're obviously worried their users might sign up for this.
2: Mm. All right. Well, it's a cautionary tale, joke or not. Uh, don't be casual about your two factor,
0: right? No. I mean, I mean well, you know, two factor is something that we should be embracing. You know, we need more of it. We need more website support in it. I hate the idea of any service which actually turns it into treacle. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, it's a good story. Um, but now it's time to move on to our catch of the day. <laughs> Our catch of the day uh, was sent in by a listener, and evidently this is claiming to come from Brazil. And Graham, if you've listened to Hacking Humans at all, you know that I am a master of dialects.
0: You are. Very good at the old accents. I'm I'm looking forward uh, to this one. It's it's a gift, really. So
2: I'm
3: going to do my best Brazilian accent with this one. It goes a little bit like this. Dear beloved one, my name is Cristiano Ronaldo dos Santos Aveiro a Portuguese professional footballer who plays as a forward for Serie A Club Juventus and captains the Portugal national team. I am a good professional soccer player, a good merchant. I have several industrial companies and good share in various banks in the world. I spend all my life as a professional soccer player in Serie A Club Juventus and captains the Portugal national team. I'm writing this letter to people who are really in need of help to contact my attorney urgently. So that she can make available preparation on your request. Especially people who want to play soccer, parents who lost their job, women of the day who are divorced by their husband, and cannot survive from feeding their self. Please contact my attorney and stop weeping. Probably let me know what you really need money for. Yours sincerely, Cristiano Ronaldo. Wha- <laughs> First
0: of all, round of applause to the accent. Right. <laughs> Spot on, isn't it, Graham? It actually reminded me a little bit of Ricardo Montalban. Well. Uh, I could have been that little guy. Remember the guy who jumps up and, down tattoo, and goes, the, plane, yes, the plane. Tattoo,
2: yes, Tattoo, yes, Villachez, that's I think, right.
0: I think Ricardo was maybe Mexican rather than Brazilian, but hey, you know, right, right kind well, of direction. Um, part of the world, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, <sighs> I mean, seriously. I mean, Ronaldo is a superstar in many people's eyes, isn't he? I I mean, think my, so my son adores him he thinks he's fantastic despite my trying to put him off him he, he thinks he's just he's just like <laughs> wonderful <laughs> i'm saying no he's a terrible human being all the time he <laughs> pretends he's been fouled as if uh, he would ever give money away oh yes he's a big cheat I, Am
2: I see. To say that. <laughs> I, all right okay see this, is not, this is not something that i follow because as you know we are the one nation in the world who prefers
0: to play with a pointy ball rather than yes. a round one. So. Yes. <laughs> no, Ronaldo is either the greatest footballer uh, in the world or the, the second greatest. Him and a chap called, I think, Messi. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. The two, the I've two heard of footballer. him. Mm-hmm. So they do have an, a ridiculous amount of money and uh, they probably should share it around a bit more. But I suspect this one isn't entirely for real. Yeah. You think? <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got my interview with Matt Price from Zero Fox. He's been tracking the development of deepfake technology, and he's going to share some of his insights on that. And we are back. Next up, we've got my interview with Matt Price. He's from Zero Fox, and he and his team have been looking at deepfake technology, which has been getting a lot of notice in the news lately. So here's my interview with Matt Price.
1: Deepfakes are a relatively new thing. The first true publication that came out of Academia was in late 2016, I believe. And the first tool that was really released that a fairly tech-savvy user could use to create a deepfake was not released till late 2017. So this is still like a really new development. And there's been, even in like the past six months, there's been insane developments in terms of just how to create high fidelity deepfakes, how to do it with only one image, and now how you can actually manipulate what people are saying by just typing in text, just like you would in a chat. And then the person in the video will then mimic back that text that you have written. If you happen to see the fake that they did of Zuckerberg, that's actually what they're doing with the text transcripts.
2: I mean, it's interesting looking back at the history of it because I remember, I mean, it's been a while now that you could see, you know, digital doubles in, in movies and things like that. I think even, you know, look 20 years or so, looking back to movies like Titanic where they were doing some groundbreaking work on that. But I suppose part of what's happening now is just the accessibility of these tools.
1: It used to cost millions of dollars to the movie studios to do what we can now just do today in a few hours on a machine with a couple of powerful GPUs. So just kind of putting together the whole tool chain, like the advances that we've had in neural networks, the advances that we've had in hardware, particularly on the GPU side have just enabled anybody now to really create these kind of deep fakes.
2: And is it purely a matter that the processing power is available or is it also progress on the actual software itself of people making breakthroughs with that?
1: Both. Definitely the combination of them. Like the, the software really would not work today without the hardware. So the hardware had happened first, but then once the hardware kind of got to the stage where it is now, the algorithms and the models were able to kind of catch up um, with the various techniques that academics are are using today.
2: Well, so let's walk through it together. I mean, suppose someone out there was looking to do a virtual version of me. And, you know, being the a podcast host, there's a, a fair amount of certainly audio of me out there, but also
1: video as well. How would they go about doing it? One of the first things that they'd want to determine is exactly what they want you to do. If we're just talking about manipulating your actual video and not any of the audio, what I would go about is go in and try to find some fairly high fidelity images of you online. Hmm. So you'd go and do, do that data gathering process. And then what you do is you essentially feed those videos into just one of the kind of open source deepfake model frameworks that are out there, like deepfake Lab, for example. You then feed those images into it along with the source video. So maybe the source video is a news presenter. So then you go and find a video of a news presenter. And then what you do is you associate your face with the newscaster's face in that video. And then what the model does is it starts to map your face onto that news presenter over many, many iterations, like usually tens of thousands. And then eventually what you end up with is your face on that newscaster.
2: And then once you've gone through that iterative process,
1: is that a, do you basically have a, a virtual puppet of me? For that video, yes. It's not something, at least not right now, it's not something where I could then just take what that model has learned and just apply it anywhere. It tends, at least today, it's very specific to that video and that mapping that it learned from your face to that target space.
2: And so what are the threats here? What do you all have your eyes on? there at zero Fox in terms of ways that folks might be using this against people.
1: Deepfakes are already being used against people primarily in the porn industry right now. And that's really, I think where deepfakes really started to hit the mainstream was when people started learning that celebrities or even just like other, like just, you know, normal everyday people were getting mapped onto uh porn star faces. So that was kind of where deepfakes started off with, which. Obviously, that's a problem, especially for like someone like, you know, like an average person, if they get mapped onto a porn video and then someone happens to find that and they're interviewing for new jobs, that could be a serious problem because that's your reputation. So that's like problems already seen today. The things that start to get really scary from like a country perspective or a societal perspective are influence campaigns. And we already saw like what Russia was able to do. In some of the previous elections without deep fake t- technology, just because they're able to distort the truth. So now, with this deep fake technology, like countries like Russia, possibly China, even organized crime, can now create these deep fakes and essentially sow confusion and change what people perceive as the truth, which is a, a major problem for any kind of like democratic society where. You have to have a basis for truth in order to have your discussions, your arguments and make determinations on how to move forward. I
2: would imagine also just the the uncertainty of no longer being able to trust that something you're seeing on video is legitimate.
1: Yeah. I mean, you probably heard the popular phrase like "seeing is believing, right, that is really no longer the case. And honestly, through the research I've been doing, I've somewhat become paranoid in that I now start like really looking at videos. Even when I'm watching TV now, I'm looking at the people. I'm like, is this a deep fake is, is what I'm seeing like the actual truth? I mean, it really can distort like how you interpret things and how you approach just what you're seeing out there today.
2: Now, what are possible solutions to this? Do we end up with some sort of, you know, chain of custody of a video footage? Dare I say uh, some sort of blockchain kind
1: of thing? Possibly. The problem with that, though, is that it requires everyone that's producing video to buy into that protection chain, essentially, which I don't think is going to be the case. That requires everyone from like hardware and software vendors to essentially get on board and then release this over time, even if that everyone does do that, it's still going to be many years if not tens of years before that could really start to to matter where you can actually track the custody of a video and, and what it's gone through. So I'm not sure that is the ultimate solution. A lot of the solutions right now are just focused on detecting deep fakes. And that's actually what we've been working on as well here at ZeroFox. And this is also somewhat concerning because we may get into this world where we essentially are having AIs creating deepfakes fakes and AIs trying to detect them. So then now these algorithms are controlling the basis of truth in our society, hmm. which is a problem in and of itself as well.
2: Right, because I could see you getting into Then you have AIs trying to get past the AIs that are trying to detect things and round and round you go. Exactly. So what are some of the ways that you all are tracking in terms of being able to detect these sorts of things?
1: What? we're trying to do is we're actually trying to build out a set of what I call leak detectors. So individually, none of these detectors by themselves will give you a what I would consider a high fidelity result, like this video is a deep fake But when you start looking at the results from many of these detectors when run over a video, like in aggregate, they give you a very good idea, has this video been digitally manipulated or not? So that's how we've been tackling it. So DARPA has been funding research into deep fakes and their detection for the past about two to three years. Hmm. And there's actually been a number of papers that have come out of that. And a lot of those are focused on essentially building one fairly powerful model, generally looking at the temporal effects in videos to detect a, a, a video is a deep fake or not. You
2: know, I, I know, for example, on Twitter, there are tools available where you can have uh, the tool analyze a Twitter account and come back at you with a likelihood that that account is a bot or not. Do, do you see similar types of things popping up in terms of being able to
1: decide whether or not something's a deep fake? I think right now that's where the general consensus of people working on this problem, I think that's where this is headed. Graham, what do you think about all this? Lots to
0: unpack. Oh, you know, this whole deep fake stuff is horrifying really, isn't it? It feels like a, a huge challenge, not just to us in the InfoSec community, but really to society in general, because the amount of influence which something like this could have upon people, damaging not just brands and reputations, but also being used for propaganda purposes, it's It's horrific. I agree. Part of me wonders, though, you know, we survived Photoshop, right? Yes, but we did. And I do remember the first time I saw a Photoshopped image. You know, it was like a crowd of us. There was a group photo and Mm -hmm. one of us had been Photoshopped into the shape of a banana. And it was a very cool, it was a very cool, it was like a man-sized banana with a head sticking out. And I thought, my goodness. That's amazing. I, I was really impressed by that. But there's something so much more believable by moving video, or mm-hmm. and, and also because the world has changed since Photoshop first came along. Because now we're all consuming information so quickly, so rapidly, and we have the ability to reshare it via social networks. As we know, you know, people don't bother to check the authenticity of these things; they will pass them on just in case. Right, it's true. And we thought you should know this. And the lie spreads around the world much more quickly than the correction ever will.
2: Well, and and I think it also speaks to that point that we've heard about um, these information operations that we've seen coming out of Russia and other countries, that it, it may not necessarily be what they're spreading as much as just the uncertainty that it injects into people's minds or they don't know what they can trust.
0: Because you, you end up just not being able to trust anything, do you? I mean, mm-hmm. that 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 is the fit. It was very interesting to hear during the interview some of the ways in which they're trying to tackle this. Because I do think it's an enormous challenge because there's always going to be this problem of both false negatives and false positives as well. You know, both of which you want to keep to an absolute minimum. But this idea of detecting whether something might be a deep fake by, for instance, trying to determine whether the tweeting account might be a bot or not, I'm not sure if that's really good enough because although that may be used to initially seed the deep fake, innocent people then begin to reshare a video or download it and post it on a different social network. Mm-hmm. And those are real people who are maybe passing it on with good intentions. And aren't bots under the control of some evil mastermind. Right. So I I think just looking at the origin, it may be handy for the social network themselves if they want to weed these out. But I'm not sure it's so useful for you and I because the dispersion continues through regular folks.
2: Yeah. And, you know, we touched a little bit on this whole notion of of some sort of chain of custody. But I just think in today's world of sharing things that
0: I don't see how that's practical. No, I really don't know what the answer is to this. I it'd be interesting to see where it goes, but I I have this horrible feeling that things are just going to get worse and the media will become less trustworthy sadly as a consequence, and that's probably not something which we we want happening. I, but let's let's talk about the real problem here, Dave. Hmm. Virtual Dave Bittner. I mean, oh yeah, we we're, we're both podcasters. Our voices <laughs> are very easy to fake, so the amount of material that's out there. Mhm. The good news for us is that because we're podcasters, we're also completely broke. So we, we haven't got much right. to steal from us. <laughs> There's nothing to steal. That's true. Right. <laughs> but, okay. pe- but people in the public eye or company as X, well, it could be much more damage done, couldn't they, through something like this? It's, uh, mm-hmm. I've seen a couple of reports beginning to come out about deep faked audio in CEO scams Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. Symantec a couple of months ago said that they'd seen something like that. I wasn't really clear how the victims knew it was a deep fake, rather than just someone who was really good at impressions. I mean, we've heard your fantastic accent already. Right. Uh, Earlier on.
2: uh. (laughs) Yeah. Joe and I talked about this uh, in a recent show that there was this story where the insurance company and the company who got claimed it was some sort of deep fake. And I I said, I'm skeptical because it's just easier to hire someone who's a good mimic. Totally. And do it that way. Why? Why why do it the hard way?
0: Okay, so listen, there I am working in the company uh, as Mm. if they'd give me responsibility over money or something like that. But if I was to move money into someone else's account and then it's found out that I did it, would I say, oh, it was probably a guy who was doing a a convincing Brazilian accent? Or would I say they deep faked Ronaldo? Precisely. And that's how it happened. In a way, it kind of excuses you a little bit. It's like, "Oh, oh, well. There's no way you could have known it was a if it was a deep fake. Right, throw your
2: hands up. What what could we have done? Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, no me. no possible way. <laughs> All right. Well, our thanks to Matt Price from Zero Fox for joining us. And uh, a big thanks to Graham Cluley for joining us. Uh, Graham, thank you so much for filling in this week. Uh, Where can folks find out more about you? Tell us a little bit about uh, your podcast and
0: where people can find that. Oh, yes, we do a little podcast called Smashing Security, found in all good podcast apps and quite a few crummy ones as well. And we have guests each week where we talk about what's going on. In fact, we have some very good guests. Did you know that, Dave Bittner? I Uh, have heard. rumor that some of your guests are outstanding and others merely adequate exactly uh naming no names but uh, yes exactly uh so yes we do i do a weekly podcast all about uh, security smashing security and also hang out on twitter at g so go and follow me there and your co-host on smashing security is someone our
2: listeners would be yes. quite familiar with carol terrio the very glamorous carol terrio yes yes the one and only Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of DataTribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Graham Plinney. Thanks for listening.